the Apostle Paul speaking. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thanks, Josh. Well, it is uh, great to see you guys this morning. My name's Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here. And, and again, just another welcome. If, if this is your first time, thanks for, for being with us. We're in this extended study of the book of Romans. I believe this is week 26 of what will be, I think, somewhere around 67 or 68 weeks. Um, so we're just getting started. Isn't that great? We're just getting started in this wonderful book. I got a new picture here, a new graphic here today, just something fresh as we kick off a new chapter. And so we're going to dive today into Romans chapter 6. Uh, but before we do, um, if you were here last week, uh, you heard us talk about the, a, a big chunk of Scripture at the end of chapter 5. We looked at verses uh, 12 through 21 of chapter 5, and we talked about the idea that there's death in Adam and life in Christ. The Apostle Paul, who's been writing this letter, he's been trying to help us understand how significant it is that we've come into relationship with Jesus. And he says, listen, everybody is born into Adam. We described it last week as kind of a car cart, right? We, we go to the grocery store and you see the shopping carts and, and some of them have little cars on them. And, and we're born into one of those carts. And it doesn't really matter how much we steer or how we try to get out of it. You're born in that cart. You're born in the Adam cart. And, and, and that's a cart that leads to death and to destruction, and everyone who's in Adam eventually dies. But, but Paul in that passage says, but, but some of you have now been put into Christ. You've been moved into the Christ cart, and therefore there's life, and there's forgiveness, and there's mercy, and there's grace, and how, how glorious, how wonderful it is to, to walk with Christ. And, and we were looking at kind of that comparison last week of Adam versus Jesus, and so when we got to the end... Uh, and I don't know about you, I, I know last week there was just so much that we were looking at that, that there was just a lot of different thoughts. It, it's possible that you missed something huge. It, it's possible, and I didn't emphasize it a lot because I knew we'd talk about it some today, but, but it's possible in reading it that you even, even saw it and didn't see how significant it was. So, so if you have your Bible, go to, go to Romans 5, you just, just right back before we were, and look at verse 20. Verse 20 of Romans 5, again, we just kind of breezed over this a little bit last week, but verse 20 said, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Now, what's he talking about? Okay, he, he's saying the law, the, the rules. Every religion has rules, right? Uh, Jews have rules, and Christians have rules, and Muslims have rules, and Buddhists have rules, and even atheists have rules of what you're not supposed to have rules about. And I mean, everybody's got rules about something. And so, so the Christian uh, and the Jewish laws that came in, what, what was their purpose? What did they do? Did they help you to achieve salvation? No. Paul says here in verse 20, the, the law, the rules came in to increase the trespass. See, if you're like me, every time you see a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch, what do you want to do? I mean, it's just crazy. I didn't even want, I didn't want to touch that bench at all. I had no interest in it at all. And then I saw the sign that said, don't touch, wet paint. And now it's like, I'm sitting down, right? I just, I want, I want, it's like there's something about rules that just provoke in us this desire to break them. And Paul said that, that's a lot of what the purpose of the law is. is it, just, it just reveals your desire to trespass. Your desi right? You see the no trespassing sign, all of a sudden you're interested in going onto that piece of land, and you weren't before. The law came 
to increase the trespass, but this, and then this is the shocking thing. This is the thing that perhaps you missed. This is the thing that perhaps you didn't stop to think about, and we're going to think about it a little bit today. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The, the word could be translated as kind of superabounded. And so what Paul here is saying, he's saying, listen, grace is so powerful that the more you sin, the more grace there is. Now you hear that, and, and if you think for a moment, you go, whoa, whoa. Does that then mean that I should just sin more? Because if I sin more, then I'll get more grace. Right? That might be a way you would think about it, is to go, holy cow, Grace superabounds over sin. The more you sin, the, the more grace can cover it. That's an amazing and provocative idea. And everywhere Paul shared that idea, everywhere Paul talked about how radical grace is, how no matter what you do, you cannot earn your way into God's presence, that grace is God as a free gift, opening himself up, giving himself to you, inviting you in, and you can't earn that. And that grace covers over, it super abounds over your sin. And every place that the Apostle Paul would travel, because he traveled all over and he taught this, everywhere he taught that, he got an objection. Now, it's not an objection that people actually probably wanted to live out. It was more just kind of a, a logical or a thoughtful objection. And you see this objection in chapter 6, verse 1. So, so look at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know what this is? This is the 2,000-year-old accusation that Christianity, the true gospel, is just easy believism. See, here's how, the, here's how the argument goes, and here's the argument that Paul would hear. They would say, listen, Paul, that sounds great that you can get grace, but don't you understand? If you just tell people, hey, no matter what you do, you can be forgiven because of God's free gift to you. Don't you know what they're going to do, Paul? Don't you know that they're going to abuse that? And, and don't you know that they're just going to do whatever they want? And we've got to get some rules in here. And Paul goes, no, no, no. The, the, the rules, all that's going to do is make you want to sin more. And, and so, so they're, they're saying, Paul, this, makes, this is crazy. We're trying to get people to, to follow God and to be obedient to God. And you're telling them, no matter what you do, you can be forgiven. You can have grace. Paul, don't you understand that that's going to make people sin more? kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Right? I mean, just think about it, like with, with your kids. Some of you have, have adult children who uh, are more on the children's side than the adult side right now, right? And, and you know kind of that reality of going, I'm trying to help them get independent, and I'm trying, you know, but every time I loan them money, every time I bail them out, every time I, right, every time I do this, it just feels like I'm enabling them more. The more grace I give, the more they abuse it. What shall we say then, Paul says? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? See, some would say, you should forget trying to be obedient. Just try to sin as much as you can, and grace will superabound over that. Paul, that doesn't make any sense. Paul, that's crazy. Paul, what do you have to say to that? Don't you, don't you see that this is how people are going to act? So what do you think Paul thinks about that? What's his answer? He's going, you know what, you're right. 
The, the whole reason I wrote this is because I want people to sin a lot. Is, it, is that what he said? Now, just to kind of understand, this apostle who's writing this, he wrote a lot of other things. A lot of the New Testament letters are made up of his writings. We have just a sample of some things that he said in other places that'll give you some clue as to what Paul thinks. Does Paul really think that we should go on sinning so that grace may abound? Hmm, but what does he say in other places? 1 Thessalonians 4. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God wants us to be holy. Ephesians 4. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, he says. Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or Romans 12.2, which we'll get to someday. <laughs> Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This apostle who writes this idea that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, is the same one who's saying, listen, God called you to holiness. God expects you to walk worthy of him. God doesn't want you to be conformed to how everyone in the world thinks. He wants to be, you be transformed. So what do you think he's going to say? Should we go on sinning? Should we continue in sin that grace would abound? What's his answer going to be? No. Right? And in fact, that's what his answer is. Verse 2. By no means. This is the strongest possible to, way to say this. It's saying, heck no. You're crazy. Inconceivable. Now, that's what you'd expect him to say, but, but why? Because it, Paul says, no, 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 that's inconceivable. But you and I, I mean, we have that experience with children. We have that experience where you forgive someone again, and they take advantage of you again. And, and you give grace here, and they just want more, right? And if you give them an inch, they take a mile, right? We've had that experience. Why is it so inconceivable, Paul? See, if, if you think... Like most people think, which is that grace is just about forgiveness. If that's how you think, then the idea that, that we should sin more to get more grace isn't inconceivable. That's very conceivable. That makes a lot of sense. If all grace is, is forgiveness. If all that matters in this life is, is that you, know, you broke the rules, and, and by faith in Jesus, you get to be forgiven for that. If it's all about just forgiveness, just a transaction of, of here's how I can kind of get my ticket stamped into heaven, here's how I can avoid hell, if it's just about forgiveness, then it absolutely makes sense. And many of you, even if you haven't in your own, like even if you haven't said it out loud, you've, you've thought to yourself, we even have a phrase in our culture, I'll ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And so you've had a time when, I shouldn't really spend this, but God's grace abounds. Shouldn't really go there, but God's grace abounds. I shouldn't really do that, but God's grace abounds. And you think that in your heart because so often, so many of us, the only way we think about grace is that it's just forgiveness. But the reason that for Paul, he would hear this question, should we go on in sinning so that grace may abound? The reason that he would say, by no means, it's inconceivable. Why is it inconceivable to Paul? It's because he saw grace as not less than forgiveness, but so much more. And that's what he's going to talk about in this, really, this whole chapter of chapter 6, is the idea that we are increasingly free from sin in our lives, that we should not pursue sin, we should pursue holiness, but the reason is because grace is so much more than just forgiveness. 
See, what Paul says as he unpacks this, and we're going to spend actually the next few weeks talking about this idea as we look at Romans 6, 1 through 11 over these next few weeks, is Paul says, listen, the reason why going on in sin to get more grace, the reason why that's inconceivable is because you're not just forgiven by Christ. Through faith, you're united with Christ. Now, we're going to unpack a little bit what that means. Paul's saying, yeah, 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 forgiveness is great, but it's not just that you have forgiveness. You're united with Christ. This is a huge theme of the Apostle Paul's writing. If you ever read a lot of his letters, he'll talk all the time about being with Christ and in Christ and in Christ and in him and all these sorts of things. And, and it's this huge idea that's right at the heart of the good news of Christianity is that we can be, though we are sinners and separated from God, by the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be united to him by faith. We can be reconciled. We can be brought together. And so there's all these realities that Paul declares about who we are in Christ. One of them is just right here in, in chapter 6, uh, verse 2. By no means, he says, it's inconceivable. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Go, died to sin? What does that mean? How did you die to sin? Well, that's what he's going to talk about in the coming weeks. But, but the scripture's filled with these places that talk about union with Christ. Take, take just a look at a, a few of these. The first one, you've been crucified with Christ, it says in Galatians 2.20. You died with Christ, it says here in Romans chapter 6. You were buried with Christ, it also says here in Romans 6. So you've been crucified with Christ, you've died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you're raised with Christ, it says in Ephesians 2. You go, well, wait a minute, what, what does this all mean? Well, that's what we're going to talk about these next few weeks. You're raised with Christ. You're seated in heavenly realms with Christ, Paul says. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And you will be revealed with Christ in glory, right? These are all just great passages from the Apostle Paul's writings, from Galatians and Romans and Ephesians and Colossians. He's saying this is all that's true about you. You've died with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. You, you're going to live with Christ. You're reigning with Christ now. You go, wait, what are you talking about, Paul? What he's talking about is union with Christ. It's the idea that by faith, you are now clothed in Christ. When God the Father looks at you, he looks at you as having done all that his son did. His son was crucified. His son died. His son rose. His son is reigning. His son is coming back. And you are included in all of those things. Which is why Paul can say in verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You go, we who died to sin? How did we die to sin? We died to sin in Christ. When Christ died, and this is what he's going to explain over these next few weeks, we died as well. And so here's what you need to see. You need to see the logic of this whole section. And then, and then I want to zoom in on a couple of verses here in, in, in uh, kind of this one to four chunk. But you've got to see the logic of this whole section. What Paul is essentially saying is that Christ died to sin and rose to a new life. You see this in verse 10? Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So, so Jesus died to sin and rose to a new life, right? That's a historical fact. That is why the church exists is because Jesus is no longer in the grave. There were witnesses to that idea and, and people saw it and people touched 
his body and people shared a meal with him. Jesus died, historical fact, was raised to new life, historical fact. Here's the next piece of this logic, is that Christians have died with Christ and will be raised with Christ, right? That, that's essentially what he talks about. J- just for instance, look, at w- this is where we'll go next week, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, so Christians have, have died with Christ and will be raised with Christ. Okay, so then here's the last piece of this. Therefore, Christians have died to sin and will be raised to a new life, a life that has begun already. All right, so you tracking this? Should we go on sinning? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul goes, no, 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 no. It's inconceivable. Why? Why is it inconceivable? Because Jesus died and was raised to new life. And by faith, you've been united to him. And therefore, you've already begun a new life. And for you to go on in sin, you're united to Christ. It can't happen. Now, now, now get this. You go, well, does it, is he saying that I'm never going to sin again? Well, we're going to read chapter 7. In chapter 7, he's going to go, I do the things I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do, and it's just so frustrating. So, so, so the idea here is that we no longer live in sin. That, that domain of sin has been broken because we're united to Christ. So you hear all that, and, and if you're more theologically minded or if you're just more naturally curious in what it is to follow Christ, you kind of hear that and go, okay, I think, I think that makes some sense. But if we're honest, it's a little abstract, isn't it? And, and normally, right, I'm, I'm like using analogies and stories and things to help you kind of get it. And you notice there haven't been any of those so far? And some of you are like, oh, he's losing me. And that's on purpose. It's on purpose today. Now, normally if I lose you, it's an accident, but that was on purpose today. <laughs> see, see, here's this great, glorious truth. It's so amazing to Paul. It's the centerpiece of, of how Paul thinks about his relationship with God. It's not just that he's forgiven. See, if you're just forgiven, you go, yeah, yeah, well, I'll just do more and he'll keep forgiving me. But if I've been united in relationship, well, now that's a game changer. This is the centerpiece of Paul's theology, and yet it's so abstract. I was crucified with Christ, I died with Christ, I'm raised with Christ. Can you help me understand this? Yes. Yes. Is there anything that could help us get a picture of what Paul's really talking about? Yes. The picture is baptism. Baptism. The word baptism uh, you see it here. Let's just actually read, read this f- for a moment here in, in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, were baptized in his death. Baptism is a picture of what he's talking about. Now the word baptism, here's a definition of it uh, from, from Wiest. He says uh, this word means the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into union with something else 
so as to alter its condition or relationship to its previous environment or condition. Get that? It's putting, here's what it is. You put a cucumber in vinegar. What do you get? A pickle. Right? You, you, you baptize the cucumber in vinegar. Right? You introduce a cucumber into a new environment or into union with something else, vinegar, so as to alter its previous condition. And make it into something new, right? And, and, and so that's, that's, that's exactly what that is. It's, it's immersing someone in something in such a way that it changes them from the inside out. It's a cucumber to a pickle. And what Paul is saying is that you've been immersed in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Paul says. We've been immersed in Christ. And that's a spiritual reality, but, but it's shown by a physical picture. And so God knows that we, we don't always do well with these abstractions. We need to see something. And so baptism is a picture of this reality. Here's what happens in baptism. And, and we're going to do a baptism on October 20th. And if you've not been baptized, I'm going to encourage you in just a few moments that you need to really think about that. Here's what happens in baptism. is We have a horse trough. We usually put it right here. That becomes like the splash zone. And we put the, a horse trough right here and we fill it with water. And it's not magical water. I'd love to find some of that. It's not a, you know, a fountain of youth. That'd be wonderful. It's just hose water. Put it in there. And, and a person who says, I love Christ. I, I know that before I met Jesus, I was on the path of Adam. I was living for myself. And, and Christ invaded my life, and he brought me to him, and now I'm in relationship with him. And this isn't about a religion or all these things I can do. This is about just knowing the Lord, and I want to follow him. He's changed everything. I'm going to be baptized. And so the person with that testimony, with that belief, gets in the water, and they go down in the water like Jesus went down in a grave. And it's a picture saying, as you go down in this water, you're going down into the grave. The, the power of sin, the, the penalty of sin is broken on you. You're united to Christ. You're in the grave with Christ. And you come out of the water. And you come out cleansed. And you come out just like Jesus came out of the grave, resurrected to a new life. That's the whole picture. Do you see that in verse 4? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism is a picture of this union. Now, now get this, because some of you may be reading this, or, or uh, talk to a number of you, who you're studying this throughout the week, and you're looking at commentaries, and I love that. And so you may, you may ask a question like this. You may look at verses 3 and 4 and go, you know, baptized into Christ, is he talking about the, the water baptism, or is he talking about like a spiritual baptism, like you've been united to Christ? Well, here, here's the reality for Paul. And this is the reality for all of the New Testament writers. Is they can't imagine someone who is united to Christ by faith, who really is a Christian, who hasn't been baptized. That just doesn't doesn't compute for them. See, we ask that question because many of us, just like I did, I became a Christian at, at 17. 
And I had a neighbor get involved in my life. We started reading the book of John. And, and I saw that even though I had I thought I was a Christian and I had been a pretty good guy, that I, I didn't really know and love the Lord. I hadn't been united to him. I was just using him for forgiveness of sins and other things. But, but, and so I continued in sin because grace would abound. Because I had never actually been united to Jesus. Then when I get united to Jesus, my whole world changes. I become actually a Christian. I'm united to Christ. But then I went like four years before it occurred to me to get baptized. And so many of us are that way, right? Perhaps you're a follower of Christ and you, you would take communion and, and you would meet in a small group. Not that those things make you a Christian, by the way. But, but you would say, I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ. I love the Lord. I'm united to him. But I haven't been baptized. See, the Apostle Paul in the Scripture would say, I don't, I don't get that. Because, and, and it makes sense, listen. In our culture, you can become a Christian, and, and by God's amazing grace, you don't get killed for it most of the time. Right? Like, you can become a Christian, and, and people around you go, man, he doesn't go out with me like he used to, but oh well. To each his own. But, but in Paul's day, to become a Christian was to identify yourself with Jesus. It was to say, everything's changed, I'm with Christ, and chances are what that meant was that you were distancing yourself from family and from the community. I mean, you were often being, being persecuted for it. And so, so this idea that to be baptized, that was a significant step. If you're going, I, I am all in, I'm all in the water on this baptism thing. I'm all in with Christ. It was a huge deal. And so Paul here, baptized into Christ, is it spiritual baptism or water baptism? It's probably spiritual baptism. But he's going, I can't imagine that you would be actually united to Christ and not baptized. That, That doesn't make any sense. And so get this, baptism is just a sign, right? I've done a number of weddings, and one of the things that you'll do at a wedding is you will... Um, you know, the, the bride and groom, after they make vows, they will exchange rings, right? And have the rings, right? And the best man tries not to drop them, right? Or he has a month, right? And he, he gives them to you. And a lot of times what the, what, the, uh, what the bride or groom will say is, with this ring, I thee wed, right? But, but no one would say that the ring is what makes the marriage, right? If that were true, you wouldn't take your ring off to lift weights or to do anything else, right? You, you would never take it off, because, but it's just a sign. It's just a symbol, right? And so baptism is like God saying, with this baptism, I thee wed. I, I, we're together because you've trusted me. We're together because I've given you my son, and you love him, and I love you. And now baptism is a way for you. It's a way to, for you to picture what's going on. So, so 13 years ago this month, Molly and I were going to a church, and we'd been Christians for a number of, of years, and we were about to get married, and we thought, you know what, Let's, we, we need to follow the Lord. But the idea of a, an unbaptized Christian is not in the Scripture, and it just is the right thing to do, and so, and, and we want to we do this. And so we, we gathered together friends and had a bunch of people from our church come, and all of my college teammates, a bunch of them came. Because people, when you get baptized, people who would never want to come to a church service want to come, and they want to celebrate with you. So they came, and, and the pastor got up. And you know what he talked about? Romans 6. And you know what we were doing as we were being baptized? 
It was one of the first sermons I ever preached, but I wasn't talking. It was a symbolic sermon saying, my old life is dead with Christ. And I've been raised to a new life with Christ. A life of faith and a life of love and a life of joy and a life of obedience. And a life that will bring glory and honor to him. I've been raised to that new life. That's what that, ser- that, that silent, symbolic sermon said. And that is a picture of union with Christ. Now, now get this. We're going to go over these next couple of weeks more into this idea of what it is to be united to Christ. We're going to look specifically at, at what it is to, to be dead with Christ. That's what we'll look at next week. In two weeks, we'll look at what it is to be resurrected to life with Christ. But here, I just want you to see how, how Paul is beginning to paint this picture. We don't go on in sin because we're united, connected to Christ. He's the vine. We're the branches. We love him, and that's pictured by baptism. So the question I just want to finish with today is really kind of two parts. Are you united to Christ by faith? Do you see that your old life of sin is dishonoring to God? You've broken God's laws. You've broken God's heart. Do you see that it's also leading you down a path that is not anywhere good? You've been following the road of Adam that you're born into. And have you had a moment where you've gone, I want to trust Christ. I need, I need life. I need forgiveness. And not just forgiveness. I want, I want to be brought in as God has opened up his heart to me and brought me in into union with him. I, I, I want to be connected to him as the vine me as a branch. I want his life to flow through me. I want to walk, as it says in verse 4, in newness of life. Have you had that? Have you been united to Christ by faith? If you haven't, I want to challenge you to trust him. Or, or maybe if you go, I, I'm, I'm just not, I don't know if I'm ready for that, then, then then get some answers. Come talk to one of us. Come talk to the person who brought you. You've got to figure this out because you are headed down a path of death and destruction. You've got to figure it out. We want to help you. But if you're at a place where you're going, well, I don't know if I, I don't know if I am doing enough. I don't know if I've done. Listen, this is about what Jesus has done for you. You can trust him. Now listen, if you would say, yes, I've been united to Christ, then rejoice in that. But then I have a follow-up question for you. Have you been baptized? You say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I love the Lord. Yes, I get that there's nothing I can do to earn my way. Even baptism wouldn't make God more impressed with me. But I love him by his grace. Is that you? Have you been baptized? And for you, if if the answer to that is no, then I want to challenge you to be baptized. I want to challenge you to preach this symbolic sermon. I want to challenge you to, to, to go into the water as a picture to yourself that I'm dead to sin. I, I'm done with that. And, and, and notice, I love this, Paul doesn't say, die to sin. Hey, 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 you, you need to die to sin. He doesn't say that. He says, you have died with sin to sin. You have died. So go into the water and show yourself. Get under there and, and preach that message to yourself. I'm dead to sin. And come out of that water cleansed as a picture of new life. A resurrected life. A whole new direction. If you're a follower of Christ and you haven't been baptized, it's time to be baptized. 
So here's what we're going to do. If, if you need to take that step of obedience, here's what we want to do. On the back of your connection card, go ahead and grab that. And on the back of your connection card, um, there's a, a box there that says, I'm interested in being baptized on Sunday, October 20th. Sunday the 20th, we're going to do a baptism. And we're going to have the, the trough, and we're going to have you invite a bunch of family. And it's just going to be a great day of celebration. And if you are here and you're a follower of Christ that has not yet been baptized, we want to challenge you to do that. If you're here and you're going, I, I haven't been a follower of Christ, but I think I am now. I'm seeing what God's grace is doing in my life, and I want to, and I want to trust him and obey him, then mark that card. Be baptized. We'd love to have as many of you who are followers of Christ who have not yet been baptized be baptized. Now, here's what will happen, just so I kind of prepare you for how this will go, is um, if you mark this card, we'll uh, get in touch with you. There's a packet that we'll send you that kind of goes more in depth as to what, it's, it's like three pages, so relax. It's not, you know, a theological treatise. Uh, but, but it's a little bit of a packet that, that makes sure you understand what it is and what baptism isn't, right? Sometimes people say, well, I got to be baptized because then God will forgive me. No, 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 no. No, this is, you're already forgiven. Show yourself a picture of it. And, and so we'll send you that packet, and we'd love you to read through that, and then we'll have someone call you, and one of our leaders and pastors, and, and we'll get in touch with you and just hear a little bit about your story and help just prepare you for what will happen on the 20th. But that's a little bit of what it's going to take. In that packet as well, there's a, there's a thing related to kids. Sometimes we have little kids that want to get baptized, and that's always an interesting question. And so that packet has information about that that we can send you as well. But if you're a follower of Christ and you haven't been baptized, you're missing out on a wonderful picture of all that God has done. A picture that we're going to describe over these next few weeks and then celebrate on the 20th. Let's pray together. Father, thank you um, for your abundant grace that opens yourself up to us and invites us in. 